please turn to the book of Esther, chapter 10. Esther chapter 10. We're looking at the final chapter of the book of Esther. And as we read about the king of Persia, Ahasuerus, and his new prime minister, Mordecai the Jew, we will consider the humiliation and the exaltation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a picture of Christ that we're going to be looking at in this last chapter of the book of Esther. Let's have a look at it. It's only three verses, chapter 10. And the king Ahasuerus laid a tribute upon the land and upon the isles of the sea and all the acts of his power and of his might and the declaration of the greatness of Mordecai whereunto the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was next unto king Ahasuerus and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. Back in chapter 1, it's written that King Ahasuerus reigned over 127 provinces from India to Ethiopia, and he enjoyed fabulous material wealth. When I read chapter 1, I get the impression that there's nothing that the king liked more than to host parties and to show off the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honour of his excellent majesty as he sipped on the very best wine, royal wine, from goblets made of gold. And now in the final chapter of this book, we're given a reminder of the might and the power of King Ahasuerus, as we are told in chapter 10 and verse 1, that he imposed a a tribute or a tax upon his subjects, whether that was to finance a war against Greece or perhaps to pay for his lavish lifestyle, I've got no idea. Verse 2 speaks of his power and his might. However, for all that power and wealth, the empire of which Ahasuerus reigned supreme did not last. In fact, the book of Daniel foretold the fall of various empires, including the fall of the Medo-Persian Empire to the Greeks. For example, in Daniel chapter 2, we read it not long ago, didn't we? Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire, which preceded, it went before the Medo-Persian Empire, had a recurring dream in which he saw a great image. The head of that image was made of gold and it represented the Babylonian Empire. After that came the chest and the arms, which were made of silver, and that represented the Medo-Persian Empire, which conquered the Babylonians. That's not guesswork, that's given to us in the book of Daniel. Then came the belly and the thighs, which were made of brass, 
and that represented the Greek Empire. Next came the legs which were made of iron and that represented the empire in the period of history that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, the Roman Empire. Last of all on the image we come to the feet which were made of a mixture of iron and clay and which appear to represent a rather precarious alliance of the Romans and various other nations. It was an alliance that is partly strong and partly broken. That's what you'd get if you mix iron with clay. Coming back to Greece, which conquered the Medes and the Persians, the empire of Ahasuerus here, apparently Greece, it now ranks 29th amongst the countries of the world with respect to military strength. If that figure is anywhere near accurate, then it's reasonable to say that Greece will not be conquering the world any time in the near future. Besides which, I can't imagine that the empire of which Greece is now um, a province, the European Union, will allow Greece to go and conquer the world. As for the European Union, you'd have to wonder how long that mighty empire has left before it too falls. It's already crumbling with one of its greatest provinces in terms of wealth and military power, the United Kingdom breaking free from its control. Speaking of the United Kingdom, to think that the British Empire spread across about a quarter of the earth with a population of about 500 million. That was in 1900 and now that empire, which was the largest empire in history, is nothing more than a loose commonwealth of nations. Furthermore, one of the commonwealth nations, Scotland, has a government that seems determined to take Scots out of the United Kingdom. Can you see how all of these kingdoms rise and then they fall and they become nothing? Shall we go on? Why not? What about the American Empire, which consists of no less than 50 states, having enjoyed the number one position amongst the superpowers for quite some time? The USA now appears to be in free fall. Coming back to King Nebuchadnezzar and his dream in Daniel chapter 2, he also saw a stone that was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet of iron and clay and break them to pieces and it became a great mountain. That stone became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. It's not easy, I mean it's not difficult to see who that stone is that became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Perhaps you can imagine that image of empires crashing to the ground and breaking apart into smithereens with its, when its feet were smitten by that stone. You can be sure that it was far more spectacular than anything you may have seen on the news in recent times with militant communists in America destroying national monuments and statues that are seen to exalt 
America's past. The following is written in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, about the stone that was cut out without hands. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume these all these nations, and it shall stand forever. There is only one kingdom that shall fill the whole earth and never fall. It is the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that stone cut out without hands. As the Bible commentator Matthew Henry said, this stone, the stone which the builders refused because it was not cut out by their hands, but it has become the headstone of the corner of the increase of Christ's government and peace, there shall be no end. The Lord shall reign, not only to the end of time, but when time and days shall be no more. When the, when the angel Gabriel came to Mary, the Virgin Mary, he said to her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of the king of, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. If you're trusting in the King of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, as your saviour from sin, then you have been delivered from the power of darkness, the devil's dark domain, and you have been transferred by God into the everlasting kingdom of his dear Son, in whom you have redemption in his blood. Now you, you who were once without hope and without a peace that endureth are a royal priest of the Most High God. I'm talking to you Christians in here. You are priests of the Most High God in that kingdom that has no end and of which Jesus reigns supreme. We now come to verse 3 where... It is written, Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus, and great among the Jews, and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people, and speaking peace to all his seed. It is my hope that as Mordecai points us to the Lord Jesus Christ in the final verse of this book, your thoughts and your gaze will remain firmly fixed on the Saviour. First of all, we can consider the humble beginning of Mordecai. He was a Jew from the tribe of Benjamin who had been carried away into Babylonian captivity when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon and Jehoiakim was the king of Judah. So he was nothing more than a captive taken into Babylonian captivity. 
it's not difficult to see how that points to the Son of God, who, according to his humanity, also had a very humble beginning. Being born into a poor family, for example, when Jesus was just a 40-day-old a forty day old baby, a 40-day-old baby, his mother offered the sacrifices of a poor person, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The Bible commentator John Gill explains, if the person was able, she was to bring a lamb of the first year for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. But in case of poverty, then a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons sufficed. And one of them was for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering, which shows not only that the virgin offered for herself a sin offering, which is very important because that that destroys the, the, the teaching of the Roman Catholic Church that Mary ascended to heaven without sin. She offered a sin offering 40 days after the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, not only does it show that the virgin offered for herself a sin offering, being ceremonial, ceremonially unclean, but also her mean estate and poverty in that she offered the offering of the poorer sort. Jesus was born into a very poor family. Mordecai was hated by Haman the Agagite, who was the prime minister of the Medo-Persian Empire before Mordecai became prime minister. Haman gave orders for gallows to be built upon which to hang Mordecai. Jesus also knew a thing or two about being hated. In fact, according to the prophecy of Isaiah, which was spoken by Isaiah, over 700 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, Isaiah said of Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men. Can you imagine that? Despised and rejected of men. Isaiah said those words all that time ago. The hatred of Jesus when he was in the world was very evident in that his own nation, the Jews, received him not. And eventually the Jewish leaders had him crucified. Nothing has changed. This continues to be a world that hates Jesus. He continues to be despised and rejected of men. And that is because Jesus is light And people love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. This speaks to each one of us here. Creatures of the night because we love the darkness rather than the light because our deeds are evil. Also in this book, we have seen Mordecai in sackcloth and ashes as he cried with a loud and bitter cry because Haman had secured a royal order for all the Jews in the empire to be put to death. When it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, in the garden of Gethsemane, the night before he was crucified, 
he became exceedingly sorrowful at the prospect of drinking the cup of sin at Calvary's cross. Circumstances changed for Mordecai with him being honoured and being promoted to high office and that turnabout of events can be seen from chapter 6 onwards in the book of Esther. First of all, Mordecai was paraded through the streets of Shushan on the king's horse and he was led by Haman no less, Haman who hated him so much. And Haman was instructed by the king to proclaim concerning Mordecai, thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honour. How humiliating that would have been for Haman. When finally Haman's wicked schemes came to nothing and he was hanged from the gallows that he had built to hang Mordecai on, Mordecai was, as we see in chapter 10 and verse 2, advanced by the king after the death of Haman. In other words, Mordecai was made great and he was made powerful. That's what it means. And then there's verse 3, here in chapter 10, where we read, where it is written rather that Mordecai the Jew was next unto King Ahasuerus. Again, that takes us to the Lord Jesus Christ, who having completed the work of redemption, when he poured out his precious blood and he laid down his life at the cross, having fulfilled the demands of God's law for all who trust in him, he rose from the dead. Having been lifted up to die and being put in a grave, a borrowed grave, he rose from the dead. Jesus is now highly exalted in heaven above and he, he, he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All power in heaven and earth is given to Jesus and he is head over all things for the benefit of his church. You think about that one, Jesus seated at the right hand of the throne of God. All power is given to him for the benefit of the church. What does that actually mean? Well, what that means is that you, dear Christian, have the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Not only has you been saved by the grace of God, but you are being kept continuously because everything in this world goes against you because this is a world that hates Jesus. This is a world of which the, the, the devil is the God of this world. And when you think about it, of necessity, Jesus has power over everything for the benefit, the good of the church. Otherwise, there would be no church. You would not be here this morning. There'd be so many things to stop you being here, this wicked world that despises and rejects the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what? Most of all, there'd be you who would stop you being here this morning. None of us would be here None of us would um, have a a continuing testimony of following Jesus, belonging to him, if it wasn't for the fact that he upholds you, that you are kept safe in his hand 
and in the hand of his father. That's not every now and then, but it's continuous, of necessity. And that grace, it continues to keep you, and it is the grace that will take you home to be with Jesus. The Apostle Paul beautifully brings together both the humiliation and the exaltation of the eternal Son of God in Philippians chapter 2, where he says the following about Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Who else can be said to be not just exalted, but highly exalted, so as to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Can you think of anyone else? Can Mordecai, whom God raised up to be second only to King Ahasuerus in the Medo-Persian Empire, or Joseph, whom God raised up to be second only to Pharaoh in Egypt, be said to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Not at all. Or what about Abraham and Moses? What about the Apostle Paul? Are any of those great men of God now seated at the right hand of the throne of God? Of course not. And the amazing thing is that the highly exalted Jesus is not unapproachable. In fact, as the great heavenly high priest, he ever liveth to make intercession for all who come to God as repentant sinners, believing that Jesus has reconciled them to a holy God and has given them peace with God by the blood of his cross. Earlier on I said that Jesus is light, but the world loves darkness because its deeds are evil. The good news is that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What that means is that forgiveness for sins and also everlasting life are given to all who having loved darkness, having walked in darkness, now have been saved by the grace of God. They are trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And they hear the voice of the King of Kings in the Scriptures and they follow him as their Saviour, their Lord, their God. Amen.